This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. So, mystery. It is a great mystery. The gospel of Jesus Christ is coming into this world. Our experience of him in our own lives, it is mystery. Deep calleth unto deep. For the creator God who made us and formed us and forged us now has come to dwell among us and within us. Deep calls unto deep. I want to talk to you today about, the, in the secrets of Christmas, the mystery of the Incarnation. But we're going to take a very unusual play, uh, beginning with this. Instead of going through the genealogy, we're looking at Luke's uh, famous passage that was just read to us. We're going to look at the spiritual genealogy of Jesus found in John chapter 1 beginning at verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. For in him was the life, and the life was the light of God. And... And I mean the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Then skipping down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld or seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. And in the ancient church, they had call and response. Whenever you'd say, this is the word of the Lord, everybody would say, thanks be to God. So let's try that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Open it to our minds and to our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning was the word. That's an interesting statement. The word means that God, the scripture tells us, through his word, framed and brought the heavens into existence. We know in Genesis it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke them into existence. Now people struggle with, how could God actually just do that? Yet, I am here to tell you this morning that science has proven that what the Bible says is true, that the heavens were framed by word, by sound. Isn't that interesting? A friend of mine by the name of Jess Lederman, who's a pretty brilliant financier in this country, uh, came from a family of scientists. His sister's head of the anthropology department at Princeton, but his father won the Nobel Prize for discovering what is called the God Particle, or writing and, and explaining it in his book, The God Particle. Uh, and uh, 
In that book, he talks about this Higgs boson, is what it's technically called, the Higgs boson particle, is, is, is what all matter in the universe is attached to. Isn't that interesting? Smaller than an atom, and yet all matter attaches to the smallest of all particles. Now, there's the CERN centrifuge in France that everybody's got a big deal about. It's got a super collider in it, all buried underground. And that's where they're working on the Higgs boson. And one scientist was asked, well, what happens when you split the Higgs boson particle? What do you get? And do you know what you get? Sound. You get sound. The heavens were framed by the word of God. The tiniest, tiniest particle that makes, that all matter becomes from, really, is sound. Sound breaks through the silence of the universe and begins to reverberate and shake the air, and matter begins to be created. That's rather extraordinary because it proves what the Bible said is true. The heavens were framed by the word of God. That's amazing stuff, people. You will never, never disprove the Bible with science. All the science will ever do is confirm what the Bible has already said. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. People worry about people talking about uh, Big Bang and all of this. Well, do you know who the Big Bang itself was discovered? He didn't call it the Big Bang, but it was discovered by an, a physicist in Belgium by the name of Georges Lemaitre. Georges Lemaitre was a, not only a physicist, but a Catholic priest. And he wrote about his love for Jesus. Einstein believed that the universe at that time in the 1920s was static. It had always been here. That's why they all believed that you could account for how old the universe is and all of this because it's static. It's always been here. And eventually something had to happen. But what Georges Lemaitre proved in physics and he proved and convinced Einstein that he was wrong. Now, that's a pretty smart man to convince Einstein that he was wrong. Was that the universe hasn't always existed. That it came into existence suddenly. Through an explosion and a burst of light. Just as the Bible says, folks. Just as the Bible says. The Big Bang does not disprove God, it rather proves God that the universe hasn't always existed. That's important to know. But what is most important is to know that this word that was in the beginning, that spoke the universe into existence, was Jesus. It's interesting to note that God waited until this time period, uh, for Jesus to be born and for John to be inspired in the Greek to call this word logos. 
Uh, that's what the word is in the Greek for word. It's logos. So in John's original text, he's saying, in the beginning, in arche logos, in the beginning was the word. And that word logos was invented in 500 BC by a man named Heracletius. Up until then, we wouldn't have this word. But what logos means originally is that word is to clothe our thoughts. That's what the definition is, the clothing of thought. Think about that. You can think that you, young people, if you're in love with a guy or a gal, you know, oh boy, that'd be great, and I love her, but until you say it, you haven't created anything. It doesn't exist except in your head. So somehow, how do you get people to know what you're thinking, what you're feeling? You have to clothe your thoughts with words. Do you grasp that? That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? The ancient Hebrews believed, and one of the reasons they were so serious about let your words be few, they believed that when you spoke something, you bring into existence something that hasn't existed before. Have you ever seen a young man tell a girl he loves her for the first time, and all of a sudden that he changes the whole relationship between the two? They might have been good friends before, and now it's awkward, or it might be now, instead of being friends, they become those in love with one another. But whatever you do with your words, you create things with them. You create situations, circumstances, you change things. You bring into existence something that had not existed before. The word takes on form. Thoughts become clothes. All of a sudden now... What you couldn't see what a person was thinking before, now you can see it. Isn't that fascinating? Now notice that it says, all things were made by the word. Without him was not anything made. Nothing came into existence apart from him. In him is the life, and life is the light of all men. You know the greatest proof of the existence of God is that you are alive because really you shouldn't be here at all. In fact, there are so many things going against human existence that the human existence at all is miraculous on its own. People think that they're going to find, you know, aliens here or there. But scientists have searched over 200,000 galaxies and they cannot find life out there on any planet or any planet that can sustain life like it does right here. It's just strange. There could be microbial life in many places in the universe, but life like complex like you and I, it doesn't exist anywhere else. We are the national park of the universe. It's pretty remarkable. It just isn't there. There are no Klingons. No Vulcans, sorry. My wife's a Trekkie, but 
Those things don't exist. They're just fantasy. That's the reason they call it science fiction. Because it's fiction. I mean, the true reality of it is all of those Klingons and all of those other, you know, Yoda and all of them, they're all based on stuff we have conceived. (laughs) They're not based on any evidence of anything else in the universe. They're just our imagination. The most powerful proof of the existence of God is that you're alive. But even more extraordinary than that is the fact that this light that shines, this word that was in the beginning, it says in verse 14, that it, that word, became flesh to dwell among us. Wow. Now you already understand that the word was in the beginning, was with God, and everything was made. That, as we know, as I mentioned about the Higgs boson, the God particle, that all matter attaches to sound. The word creates. People say, I don't know if I can believe in the virgin birth. How can you not? If the word created the heavens and the earth and the universe, I mean, even created the sound and created music. In fact, the scientists at CERN say that the Higgs boson plays a melody, and you can YouTube this. They have taken those scientists that plays instruments, and they play the music that the Higgs boson makes. Isn't that amazing? Gloria Gaither wrote, God gave the song. Literally, he did. If God can do that, how hard is it for him to take that very word that created all matter and to allow the word itself to become flesh? But God did more than that. And this is what I think. All of the genealogy in the Old Testament is there for one reason and one reason only. God is preparing through all of this marriage, all of these descendants from Adam, a young woman whom the Holy Spirit could simply overshadow and the word would be spoken and in her the Son of God conceived. See, I kind of think that what God was doing in the Old Testament was his own way of genetic engineering. That's why he forbade them to intermarry with other people and races. That's why he wanted to keep the lineage pure from Adam all the way down. And I mean pure, just the fact that the lineage goes from Adam because in the first Adam all died, in the second Adam all of us are made alive. So, Coming from that lineage on down, I believe that without particular marriage, God was doing genetic engineering, and the moment that Jesus is born, what happens to the genealogy? It goes away. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because it fulfilled its purpose. 
Now, in Christ, we are all made spiritual brothers in one. There is no Jew nor Greek, no bond nor free, no male or female. We are all made to drink from the same spiritual drink because we are now all in Christ. So think of Mary, this amazing, remarkable person. And I think sometimes... Some on one side of the fence think too highly of Mary, and I think there are those of us among some of our people that think too low about Mary. Mary is pretty remarkable. She was appointed by God. She is as much a miracle as, as Jesus coming in the flesh is, because both of them had the hand of God. And as he shapes her and makes her, he's preparing her so that the, what the angel Gabriel said that we heard spoken just moments ago was that the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, Mary. Think of that. The Spirit of truth, God, coming upon her. And then he speaks the word. The word itself comes from the Holy Spirit into her. Now, you think how we form a word. We get that word in our head, and it travels down all of these pathways until it begins to grab a hold of our vocal cords, and out of it we shape sound. Sound that actually exists forever. Did you know that? Do you know that there are radio broadcasts that were broadcast in the 1920s that if you could get a a uh, radio telescope antenna that could go deep enough into space, you could still pick up live broadcasts. Did you know that? There's sound. When you create it, it goes on forever. Of every idle word men shall speak, they will give an account. Do you know why? It's still out there, folks. Still out there. And I, I'd say this to you just as a little sidelight, is that we sometimes uh, judge people harshly and don't forgive people for what we think we've heard about them, but think how God has forgiven us for what he knows about us. Hmm? But the main thing in this text is this word travels down these synapses, goes into the vocal cords. The word is formed, vibration enters in. Think of how God spoke into Mary the word that took shape and it formed, traveled into her body, into her mind. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And that holy thing, Gabriel said, shall be formed in you. That's remarkable stuff, people. But you know what? It makes perfect sense. If God can do all of this, if you're here living and breathing because God made you, <laughs> simple thing, to make his son. Simple thing for the word to become flesh and dwell among us. But what does that mean for us? You can say, well, Pastor, that's all kind of interesting stuff. I'm, I might even be scratching my head on a little bit of it. But what does that all mean? It means simply this. 
that the God who brought Jesus into existence and overshadowed Mary through the very life of Jesus is overshadowing us. There is the same sense where the mystery of the incarnation must take place within each and every one of us. As Phillips Brooks wrote in his little poem that became that little Christmas carol we sing every year, O Little Town of Bethlehem, he has a line in it that says, O Christ, the Son of God, be born in us today. You are a manger. (laughs) But maybe more than that. You are someone whom God has loved, someone he has made, humble servant like Mary, whom the Holy Spirit wishes to speak into your life, Jesus, and to allow Jesus to take shape and form and for you to be molded in his likeness. He wants you to become little Christ. That's what the word Christian means anyhow. He wants you to be walking like Jesus, talking like Jesus. You know? He wants you to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. He wants the mind that was in Christ to be also in you. You say, well, how do I get all of that? How do I do it? Do I got to study the Bible every day? Yeah, well, reading the Bible every day is a good thing to do. I do it every chance. I pull on the Word. I meditate on the Word every single day of my life. But a lot of people can read the Word and it does nothing for them. You know that? How does it change your life? It's not when you get the word that you've read here and get it in your mind. People sit around and have Bible study and Bible study and Bible study till they talk as if they knew all about Jesus. But they never got to know Jesus. There's a different thing, it's a different thing to know about Jesus and to know Jesus. To know about Jesus is to talk about him. I've heard people talk all about him, every way they can. I can show you liberal scholars who've read the Bible, know the Bible better than a lot of Bible-believing Christians, and they just chop it all up. What is the difference? The difference is whether you know the author. There was a young girl who uh, read a book one time, thought it was the dullest, most boring book that she'd ever read in her life. She met a man and, oh, fell in love with him and and thought he was just the greatest thing in the world. And then to her horror, she discovered that he had written the book that she thought was so boring. She went back and reread the book and it was more exciting than she'd ever imagined before. What is the difference? She knows the author. What will be the difference in your life when you know the author? The ancients had this thing they called Lectio Divina. It means to read the scriptures in a prayerful way. Where you pray over them, you read the text, and you say, Lord, what are you revealing to me about yourself through this text? 
Show me the way. Show me truth. Show me life. If I'm wrong, Lord, convict me. If I'm doing right, encourage me. But Lord, you get your word from here and plant it in here. The early church didn't have a Bible. They couldn't afford one. Their churches might have scriptures. They would have some letters, and they would have maybe an Old Testament and a New Testament, I mean, parts of the New Testament. Most of it wasn't written there when they began. Yet, they listened to the word being read, and they took it in and put it in their heart. And they meditated and prayed over it and said, God, I heard this scripture. Reveal to me what it means in my life. That's so important that the Word becomes flesh in you. That the Word becomes alive within you. That you're not just talking about it. You're integrating it into your life. You're being spiritually formed in Christ. And you're not just simply doing Bible study. Uh, back in the 70s, we would have these small groups and we'd meet in homes and, and uh, we'd get together and people would come in and this per- I'd, you know, come in and somebody get up and say, well, here's what the Bible is saying and, and then we'd all sit and talk about it and people would, wouldn't say much because they said, well, I thought it meant this and he says it means this and she says it means that and they think it means that. Sometimes what I think we get in Bible study is just pulled ignorance. We don't really dig down deep. What we need to do is when we get together in the Word, we should have koinonia fellowship. That's a Greek word meaning fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And when we read the Word, we should be able to say, here's what God is showing me and revealing to me about this text of what I need to be doing. You understand? Here's where I'm opening my life to the life of the Spirit. You know, when I read that text, it convicted me of this thing in my life I have been doing, and now I see I shouldn't be doing it. Or that the Holy Spirit showed me an answer to a problem that I've been having in my life. This is what Bible study is for. It's not for you to go out and out... How should I say it? Bibliocize the other person? Uh, Out-talk them biblically? Uh, To be able to say, well, I know this, I know that. Listen, the Word of God does the work of God. And when it's in your life, it's working you to be transformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Word is about. Read through your Bible from where Jesus teaches on the parables of the sower who sows the seed, which is the Word of God. And the seed falls, some on good ground, some on uh, uh, hard ground, some on ground, somewhere in between. But the bottom line is the seed falls. And it's whether or not we as the soil take it in or not that makes all of the difference. Read through Ephesian letter. Paul talks all the time about the Word being integrated into your life. The Word must become flesh. 
to make the difference. I uh, had a man come many years ago into my study, and uh, I could hear him walking down the hall when he was first coming in. His feet were just kind of dragging. You could hear him just kind of scuffling along. When he, he opened the door and I reached over to shake his hand, he had one of those dead fish handshakes. You ever had one of those where you go shake somebody's hand and it's like, is there any life in this body? And uh, his eyes were sad. And when he talked, there was little life in him. So we sat down and I said, tell me what's the story? What's the problem? He began to unburden himself with all the things that had gone wrong, all of the things where he had messed up his life and the damaged relationships and how miserable and depressed he was because of it all. He didn't even care to live anymore. I began to share with him about Jesus and how important it is to know him as Lord and Savior and to experience him in your life. And I asked him, would you like to just invite him to come into your heart, into your life? Not just pray a prayer. I'm talking about that. A lot of people pray prayers, but their heart's not in it. I'm talking about open your life to receive Jesus and let him come and take up residency within you. And he said he did, and he would. And we prayed, and it took us a little while, but we prayed and prayed until all of a sudden he felt the life of Jesus coming into him, setting his heart on fire. And when we were done, all of a sudden he looked up and there was a new light in his eyes. He not only didn't give me a handshake, he gave me a hug and about lifted me up off of the floor. And when he walked out, it wasn't a shuffle. It was a march out the door. What is the difference? It's whether or not the word becomes flesh and dwells within you. So, today we're going to have communion as our response time. I want you to bow your head and think about this for a moment. What areas in your life have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Maybe you, even, yeah, that you haven't even done that. I want you to take a moment and to know that you can do that right now. I want you to just simply say to him, Lord Jesus, I want to invite you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins I, I want you to take up residency within me. I want to feel your spirit lift me, your presence. I want the word to take root and become flesh within me. Pray that right now. Now maybe you have a living relationship with Jesus, but you know that you need to go deeper. There are areas of your life where you haven't invited Christ. I want you right now to simply say, 
Lord Jesus, I want you to come into that area of my life and show me where I need to go and what I need to do, how I need to live. Let your Spirit speak its word into me. Let the word speak into your heart. Let it speak into your life. Oh, Holy Spirit of the living God, speak your word into us. Let it just live within us. Make us like Jesus. And we will give you praise and honor and glory in his name. And all God's children said, Amen. And Holy, holy, holy is your name. Sing that with me, will you? And holy, holy, holy is your name. One more time. And holy. If our people who have prepared communion for us this morning would come and uh, begin to distribute it, and we will invite you to come forward. And in a moment, we will have share communion together. Sing that with me one more time. And holy.
is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me this is my blood shed for you for the sending away of your sin this is my blood shed for you for the sending away of your sins for the sending away of your sins and that with me, will you? And holy, holy, holy is your name. I'm going to use the big cup. And holy, This is the bread, which is the symbol of the word that has become flesh and dwelt among us. Now, while we don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, <laughs> that's a big word, isn't it? It really means that after the priest blessed the bread, this literally becomes the physical body of Jesus. We may not believe that, but we do believe that once we pray and ask God's blessing upon the bread, that in the breaking of the bread, we look past the bread to the true living presence of Jesus who is among us. And we take the bread and we take it in because the word is to become flesh within us. It is not simply to remember the death of Jesus, but the fact that the death of Jesus has given us God's eternal presence to be with us forever. And as we eat and drink this cup, we celebrate the nearness of Christ in our own life and commune with him. So let us bless this bread. 
Lord Jesus, as we bless the bread, I pray that you will in turn bless us with your nearness, your presence. As all the grain of the field has been gathered together in this one loaf, so now gather us in you, that we might live in you, move in you, have our being within you, that you might fill us to the fullness with who you are, that we might live in you, Jesus. Thank you for your dying on the cross, for the breaking of your body that hell now will now feed all of us, that now transforms all of our lives, that will always remind us that you not only exist in heaven, but you are here among us. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take and eat. In the same manner, Jesus lifted the cup. For the cup is the symbol of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus. On the cross, opened the way for the Holy Spirit to be with all of us. For in the ancient times, he only visited certain prophets and holy men. But through the blood of Jesus, we now all have access to Christ. This is the great hope. This now, this cup of suffering, now becomes our blessing cup. Lord Jesus, we bless this cup. We celebrate the life in the Spirit we have in you. And as we drink this cup, so pour into us the life of the Holy Spirit that we walk new and fresh in you. In the name of the Father who loves us, in the name of the Son who has redeemed us, in the name of the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us, we pray. Amen. Take and drink all of it. Thank you.